Yeah, heard that song three times. I could hear it a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. Love the message and love the, the ones proclaiming it. He still saves. Let's take our Bibles and look to Exodus chapter 12. I want to walk through a passage of scripture that you're probably familiar with on unleavened bread. We're going to commemorate a week of unleavened bread starting tomorrow, and I want to give you some insight to that. I'm grateful to the folks that have baked for us uh, this morning in the 8 o'clock service as I was walking in, 7.45 or so, uh, the room was just filled with the aroma of fresh baked bread. Some folks got up very early this morning and were baking these loaves of bread. Some maybe before, uh, but some of these were still warm as they were coming in. And so the whole room smelled it. Now, I know some of you, this is not the season for me to ask you if you can smell because sinus and allergies are yours right now, a problem. But for the rest of us, boy, it smells great. It's reminiscent of the house of bread. Bethlehem is known as the house of bread. And you can only imagine what it would be like as the bakeries were just unloading the grandeur of the aroma of bread into the streets as Jesus was born. Well, this is going to be a challenging week for us. It's going to be a great week. Uh, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Of the seasons in life, this season of the year is my busy season. Uh, this week, we have many opportunities to get together. Wednesday, I'll be teaching out of Romans 3. It, it's happening where we are. It's no greater passage probably to be in Romans 3 on the Holy Week. So I'm excited about teaching from Romans 3 on Wednesday. Friday, we'll be back together for a good Friday service. It's one of my favorite of all the year. That and Christmas Eve rank way up there for me. It's a great introspective time for us to have moments together, about an hour, maybe just a little less, and a very uh, intimate time of communion together. So Good Friday is going to be a great service. Saturday night, we'll be back together. We're offering a Saturday night Easter service. Some have been a little bit uh, wary about, can I actually worship Easter on Saturday night? Well, while we're worshiping on Saturday night, Jerusalem is worshiping on Sunday morning. So that works for us. The times work out just right there. So if you'd like to come on Saturday, uh, that would be a service. What we'd really like to target is those who would normally attend the 930 service on Easter to come into the Saturday evening service. And we're also trying to get word out to the hospitals, Goodyear, and other places that have shift employees who may be working on Sunday morning and want an opportunity to worship uh, with their family at Easter time. So Saturday night is that. Now, you folks are a little bit hard for me to figure out. Been with you for 13 years, and I was thinking when I put in the, uh, the Saturday night service, I don't know who will come besides Kay and me. Now I'm hearing all the churches coming on Saturday. And I'm telling you, if you're going to come on Saturday, nobody's going to be here on Sunday. I'm going to strong arm you if I can to get you to come again on Sunday morning. So uh, you don't all have to come Saturday evening, but it's a good opportunity for us to, to have a fourth service. We're, we're looking for over 2,000 people to be in service next weekend. So thank you for how you're going to treat our guests and make, make this the most hospitable, warm, and friendly place possible as you extend a, a very gracious hand to our folks. Well, let's talk about the week of observance of unleavened bread and why we would do that. Some of you may be asking, what does God have against bread? What has the Pillsbury Doughboy ever done to God to make it that he would have a week of unleavened bread? Well, God is not opposed to bread. Absolutely not. In fact, bread of heaven was what God sustained Israel with for 40 years before they moved into the promised land. 
by the Son of God himself, the self-entitled bread of life. So God is not anti-bread. God and bread do not have anything that's bringing friction between them. In fact, it's the absolute opposite. So why is God requiring that Israel in the Old Testament have a week of unleavened bread? And what in the world are we doing on this side of the cross and resurrection? What are we doing commemorating a week of unleavened bread? Why would we do that? Well, I want to walk back through the Old Testament teaching and then bring it forward today. The reason why God would say there's seven days in the spring that I want you to have a week without leavened bread. Why he would at the end of that seven-day period say on the seventh day, I want there to be a grand feast. What does that have to do with any of it? So we'll be looking at that and how you and I might also have a great blessing of a week without having bread with yeast in it or cakes or any of the like. Now turn to Exodus chapter 12, and I want to focus in on a couple of verses there, verse 33 and 34, and then I want to move to chapter 13. Exodus 12, verse 33, let's read it together. You from your Bible. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. Now pause there for a moment. I'll catch you up if you're not familiar with that section. Remember, the people of Israel had actually been in Egypt for 430 years, the latter half of which they were enslaved. They had become very numerous. God had multiplied them extraordinarily so. And the Egyptian leader, the Pharaoh, determined that they were getting too mighty. In fact, if they joined up with some of the local enemies, they could actually overtake the whole Egyptian dynasty. And so to bring down the numbers of Israel, he determined that he would enslave them and treat them harshly and kill their babies and all kinds of things. The people were crying out to God, and God heard their cry, and he was rescuing them with a redeeming, outstretched arm. Now, it's in this moment that God began to bring plagues against Egypt. He was dismantling their whole thought process about their pride and arrogance and who they were as a nation and who they were as people serving multiple gods. And throughout the plagues, he was coming against all those gods of Egypt, dismantling this whole concept of who they were as a people. At the end, the last and final plague broke them. And so this passage picks up here saying that they were pushing the people out of the country with haste, lest they all die. So, verse 34, the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls, and bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. Now, go to chapter 13, verse 3. Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. 
Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. And no leaven shall be with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day. It's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. And, verse 10, you shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time year to year. That's pretty uh, simplistic to understand. Out of Egypt they come, and on that very day, Moses says, This day you will remember forever. And he sets up, by prescription of God, a week of commemorating that day. So when they had the week of unleavened bread, it was to take them back to the point of their redemption. And the generations coming after them, it was to be a reminder. This is what God did for us. So I want to just take some questions that you might have about this week. And then I want to address those biblically, then I want to ask some questions or make some statements about why we would choose today as a church to begin a week of unleavened bread. First of all, what is leavened bread? What is unleavened bread? And what is leaven? Well, there's a verse in the scripture that gives us those three terms, Hebrew terms, leaven, leavened bread, and unleavened bread in one verse. And it will help us sort of get an idea, a handle on what those terms mean. In Hebrew, excuse me, Exodus chapter 13, verse 7, Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. So let's take those words and talk about them. First of all, leaven. In biblical days, leaven is most often a lump of dough that's flour and water mixture, maybe some other components. And before it's baked, a pinch is pulled from it and set aside. Then the rest of it is baked or prepared by frying it, whatever you're going to do with it. And then that which is left will be the starter of fermentation for the next day's bread. So it's the next day and water and flour are mixed. And we take that fermented lump that is in a process of decay... And we put it in with the new flour and water and knead it, set it aside. And you know what happens? The process makes that dough rise. That's leaven. Today, we tear a package of yeast. We put it with a little bit of water, mix it up, and put it in the dough. It's an accelerant of the entire process. Leavened bread is that process and the product of it. So leavened bread has a part of it that is actually in decay, and it permeates through the whole lump. You're driving down through Birmingham, and you're on 59, heading back to Gadsden. And as you pass East Lake, you'll see First Avenue North, the exit there. And if your car is like mine, it naturally pulls to the exit ramp. And it goes down to First Avenue North. And about two or three blocks down, on the right, there is a glowing sign that says, Hot Now. And I whip into that Hot Now. We just did this a couple of days ago. And walk in, and I tell them what I want, and I top it off with the hot and now fresh glazed donuts. 
My salivary glands are working in overdrive. My jaws are hurting with just the thought of it. I get that donut. I get into the car, and Kay is ripping the box apart, literally. And we both, in the parking lot, began to make noises and sounds that should not be made by adults. That's a fantastic thing, isn't it? But did you know in the midst of that wonderful donut is a decaying process? It's leaven. Leaven donuts. Unleavened means that that process is not there. There's no agent to make it ferment. There's nothing that makes that uh, process begins. It's uncorrupted by decay. All the breads on the table before you are unleavened. You say, well, some of them are pretty fluffy. Leaven is not the same as baking powder and baking soda. That's going to be good news for some of you who are going to be uh, practicing unleavened bread with us this week. It's not about the rise, although many Jews would say that today, and many people that still participate with unleavened bread would say it's about the rise. No, it's not. It's about the decay. That leaven is meant to be an illustration of death and decay. It's a process of controlled decay. That's what fermentation is. Fermentation is an agent that's used in this decaying process that actually breaks down the sugars in the product. And in the breakdown of the sugars, it releases gases or acids or alcohol. And that is the fermentation process. Unleavened bread doesn't have that there. So when God says, I want there to be a week in your life without leavened bread, what he's saying is, I want there to be a process in your life of seven days in which there is no decay in the bread that you eat. It's going to be a huge teaching lesson for them. And on that side of Calvary's cross, it was going to point to the Messiah who would be the bread of life. On this side of Calvary's cross and resurrection, we can look back on it this week and with unleavened bread recognize that all that Christ has accomplished for us and all that he is. Leaven, leavened bread, and unleavened bread. Look at the next question. What's the time period of this week of unleavened bread? Now, in the Bible, it goes like this. There is the Passover event in which was the point that it, Israel was pushed out of Egypt. It was that Passover event where the death angel came through in the final judgment and all those who had the marking of the blood of the lamb there on their doorway by faith, the angel of death passed over them. There was Passover and then following that came the unleavened bread time. Today in the celebration of the Jews, they will celebrate on the 14th Passover. And then following that, on the 15th through the 21st, there is a week of unleavened bread. And it's important that we understand the, the um, schedule of that. What's happened there is the redemption of God was given to the people of Israel. And then came, let's work through this and illustrate that redemption. Now be careful not to flip that around. Be careful to think that there's something you could do like I'm going to do without 
leavened bread this week. I'm going to have only unleavened bread. And then God is going to be happy with me. That's not the way this thing works. You are never going to be saved by any works. But we are saved by grace. And then outside of that redemption, we can say, wow, look what God has done. I want to live out this life unleavened before him. That's the process. Now, just to confuse things, I flipped it around this week because I wanted something to move us into Easter. You say, Randy, that's not the way the Bible says it. Well, the Bible has released us from the obligation of the week of unleavened bread. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He does not require us to celebrate the week of unleavened bread. Some of you, that's your way out. Don't worry about it. If you're not going to be in on it, I'm perfectly happy with that. I hope that the majority of you will join my family and me as we have the week observance of unleavened bread. I think it's going to have significant spiritual truths for us through the week as it's preparing us for Good Friday and for our Easter services together. So the time period is absolutely essential. But I don't want you to feel burdened by it. In fact, Paul gave us an understanding about this in the letter that he wrote to the people of Colossae. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to, fe- to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. In other words, uh, if I drive down Broad Street and I look over to my right where Connie's Coney's is and I see you biting into one of those hot dogs with the leavened bread around it, I'm not going to give you a hand gesture. I'm not going to shake my finger at you. I'm not going to look down on you. If I pass on and I see you for lunch at Trey Ragazzi's, and there you have that bread dipping into that incredible olive oil and spices and eating it, I'm not going to look on you with disdain. Why? Because let no one pass judgment. The festivals, the the moons, the Sabbaths, they were all pointing to Jesus. Look what he says. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, every part of this in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. And the only reason why we would do it this week is to refer back to him and just give him praise and glory throughout the week and a good opportunity for us to to extol his mighty uh, righteous name. All right, so what's the purpose why, why, why do we have a week of unleavened bread? Well, on Passover and during the week of unleavened bread, no bread, no cake, no other product can be eaten with any kind of fermenting agent like yeast in it. Leavened bread, as you know, has a portion that is fermented. It's a decay, and it permeates through the entire new batch. But by excluding leaven from Israel's camp, God was illustrating that there was a spiritual truth about outside influences that would attempt to permeate into Israel and the lives of the people souring their heart or their minds or their soul. It's a week that illustrates that we are to put away all those things of worldly influence, those things that are evil by nature, that Israel would have that time that they say, we don't want any part of this external influence. Remember, God gave the people the land of Israel, and he told them, I want you to eradicate all the people there because I don't want you to intermarry them. I don't want their gods to become your gods. I don't want their sinful practices to become yours. Remove them from the land, and you be the one that influences the sinful, dark world out there. Don't let them be the one to influence you. This bread was to commemorate that. 
I have pulled you out of Egypt. Don't bring Egypt in with you. You be a new lump altogether. We're not going to, in our salvation, we don't bring some of our old life into this so that we can work towards salvation. No, it's all together. Leave all that behind and be brand new in Jesus Christ. And in this newness that we are in Christ, live that out in the flesh as well. So as for us, it's going to be a week commemorating our former life that we were rescued from, separated from wickedness and separated from sin and separated from false teaching and false religions. We are now redeemed in Jesus Christ. We're redeemed in a way that all the influences of the world will try to attack our flesh, but the Spirit is still very much righteous and pure. This is what the week is commemorating. We're pushing out any of the decay influence of the world that would alter the way we think or the way we have emotions or the way we live. We want to live out the righteousness of Christ. So we make choices to do that. Look at the next question. How do people prepare for this week of unleavened bread? Well, God instructed Israel to get rid of everything in the camp that had been leavened. I hate it. Sarah Lee, Sister Schubert, out the door. Twinkies, Little Debbie, out the door. Pizza Hut on my speed dial, no more for the next seven days. Why? Why would we do that? What are we preparing for? And how do we prepare? Well, for the Hebrews, they literally go through and spring clean. They clean out all the leaven product of their house. They clean out all the leavening agents. And by practice today, by tradition, they'll take a feather and literally dust the pantry shelves, getting rid of all the dust and the crumbs that may still have leaven in them. This is a big week for all of Israel. This is a big week for us as well. I challenge you today to begin a week commemorating unleavened bread. Clean out this afternoon, this evening, all the yeast and all the products that have been fermented, all those, clean them out. Now, I'm way too cheap to throw them away. I'm going to encourage us to bag them up or box them up and put them in the garage. We'll pull them back out on Easter morning if we so choose. I encourage you to spend the week and let's commemorate unleavened bread. Unlike Lent, This is a practice that is rooted in the Bible teachings. Lent, and I don't think that Lent is bad, but it's a practice, it's a tradition that has been raised up mostly in Western Christianity, a practice and a tradition given by man. This is one that God gives. And I lean more towards that than I do any other tradition. If it's found in the Bible and it helps me to understand deep spiritual truths, then I want to I go there. So let's talk about why Meadowbrook in the 21st century would have a week of observance of unleavened bread. Look at your handout. This week we choose to eat bread, the bread of affliction, remembering the life from which Christ has rescued us. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 6 uses that term, bread of affliction. Let's read it together. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste all the days of your life. You may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. Now, most people would say, if they read that bread of affliction, and it has to do with the week of unleavened bread, 
that they would say, okay, uh, I don't want any part of unleavened bread. If it's not sourdough, if it's not big fat yeast rolls, I don't want any part of it. And Randy, if you're going to make me eat that for a whole week, that would be like affliction to me. And they would equate that phrase with this disdain for the bread. That is not what it's about. The bread of affliction reminds us what we once were, who we once were, and where we once were. Where were we? Like Israel. We were in bondage. We were in captivity. We were oppressed. We were put down. And as Israel was redeemed from that, and it's commemorated with unleavened bread, so you and I will take that this week, and it will be the bread of affliction. What's the affliction in our life? It's the sin. It's the death. It's the, uh, the um, addictions that I've been chained to that now I've been freed from and come out of. So when we have this bread, it is a reminder to us of the affliction that I once had that Jesus rescued me from. This is what it's meant to be. This is not so that you're eating with your co-workers and you've got this long look on your face because you're only able to eat unleavened bread. It's not meant to be that. It's meant to be a day of joy. It's meant to be a week of joy. Because with every bite that you eat this unleavened bread, it reminds you where you once were, where Christ found you, and he rescued you out of that. It's meant to be a joyous celebration. It's meant to be a fun time, a hilarious time. That's the reason why Jesus says, or God says at the end of seven days, have a feast with unleavened bread. This is my busiest time of the year. This week is my very busiest of all the weeks. But I so want to have family and friends together so that we can feast together with unleavened bread and we can sit around and talk about the salvation that is given to us in Jesus. How I was helpless and hopeless, enslaved to sin, the grave, to death, but Christ came and he rescued me. I hope I get to have those opportunities with families and fr my family and friends this week as we just have the bread of affliction and share it together. Now look at the next thing. This week we choose to eat unleavened bread to bless the Lord Jesus for his holiness, his purity, and his, righteous, uh, and his sinlessness or righteousness. Jesus, that is his life and his sacrifice, is unleavened. That means... It is without the influence of sin. It's without sin. It's without decay. It is absolutely pure. His life was without the tainting and the decay of sinfulness. Jesus lived free from that. He was born holy. He lived holy. And he died holy. That's the only way he could be the holy sacrifice for us, the unholy. The way Jesus has done this, he's lived absolutely without tainting of sin. You and I have been head heal into sin, Jesus said, let me take that off of you. I'll put it on my righteous body so that I might become sin, that you might become my righteousness. This bread is a reminder of that. It's a constant reminder that the Lord has blessed us with holiness and purity and righteousness. As Peter said, he is like the lamb without blemish or without spot. If he was going to use unleavened terms, he would say he's the unleavened bread. That's the reason why Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Now, following the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, you remember what happens? Joseph of Arimathea asks permission to take the body down, and he takes a shroud, a linen cloth, and he wraps the body with this linen cloth, and then he takes it to his own personal tomb, and he puts the body in the tomb. 
And then three days later, everything changed. There Jesus was in that tomb, the grave. But the body of Jesus did not suffer any part of the natural corruption or decaying process of everyone else's death. This body did not return to dust as God said all of mankind would from Genesis chapter 3 verse 19. This body on the third day on Easter morning raised up out of that grave with its linen untouched with decay, untouched, it looked just like when he was wrapped in it. In fact, so pristine was it that Jesus took it and folded it and put it where he had been lying that, that uh, three-day period. Remember previously when Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus, very good friend of his, Martha and Mary are there grieving. Jesus come alongside of them. He too is grieving the whole process of death and sin and despair and the grave. While he's there, he stands before the tomb and he says to them, I want you to roll that stone back. Remember what Martha says? Oh Lord, oh Lord. He's been dead a while. In fact, uh, there's an odor. Look what she says. Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Are you reading out of the King James? It's my favorite of this translation. Oh, Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> That's a little bit more expressive to me. And sure enough, Lazarus stinketh. Somebody had to help him out of those grave clothes that had now been soaked with the decaying process because of the corruption that Lazarus had in him. <laughs> Totally opposite with Jesus. Totally opposite. There was no decay. No way. Jesus rose up from that grave and that linen cloth was just like he had been wrapped in. There was no smell of death in that place. There was no evidence that death had ever been there because it had not been there. That tomb of Jesus was not a tomb of death, but it was a tomb of life. That tomb was not one of defeat, but it was one of victory. That was not a place for mourning. It was a place of celebration and rejoicing. The empty tomb of Jesus is the place of sinlessness and righteousness and holiness, which he shares with you and me by faith as we call upon his name to be saved. And that's what this bread is all about. Just proclaiming the body of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, untainted in any way with sin, except for our own. But more than just commemorating and having a moment to remember, this week we choose to get rid of anything that defiles us. Individually or collectively as a church. Paul, who I believe on this side of the cross of Calvary and the resurrection, seeing the resurrected Christ, been commissioned by him, understood better than anybody else the depth of truth of Jesus. I believe that he continued in the observance of the week of unleavened bread. And he takes the teaching of this week and he elevates it to help us to begin to live out this unleavened life of Christ. What he's wanting to have happen is the people on the external to match the perfection of their spirit that had been made righteous and pure by Jesus Christ. My spirit, by faith, has been made right. The Bible says that when God views me, he doesn't view me and my sin, but he views the righteousness of Christ. That's the way that this thing happens. The old is passed away. Everything is new. 
when I die, the neurons stop firing, the heart stops beating, the lungs stop moving. When I die, this flesh will be no more. But this spirit is already alive in Christ. To be absent in the body is to be present with him. What Paul is going to do is he's going to elevate this week of unleavened bread. He's going to say, Randy, Meadowbrook, let the likeness of Christ by spirit in you be lived out in your flesh. Look what he says. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are really, you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Paul's right there. Paul's saying, listen, you really are unleavened in your spirit. You are. God sees in you the righteousness of Christ. This is by the work of Christ Jesus, the Passover lamb, who has been sacrificed. Now he says, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So he's now taking it and making it not just a commemorative week, but he says, let this be a week in which what you choose to have influencing you would match that which is right and perfect in Christ in your spirit. And everything that is contrary to the spirit of Christ in you, rid yourself of that. Malice, evil, rid yourself of that and embrace sincerity and truth. So now he's taking it and really lifting it to a very practical help for us. Now listen, in Jesus Christ, we are cleansed from sin and given eternal life. Amen? Sort of? If you can't amen for yourself, amen for your neighbor. In Jesus Christ, we are cleansed from sin and given eternal life. Yeah, good. I'm making sure you're still with me now. We're, we're not far off. We are made to be unleavened. By the death and the burial of Jesus and the resurrection. Unleavened. Not marked with sin. Not marked with decay. Unleavened. Our spirit is made perfect. However, we still live in the flesh where sin resides. And I hate that part of me. But it is still. The flesh is still eager at times to sin against God. The flesh is lured by temptation. Because it has sinful desires deposited in it. And what Paul is saying here is during this week, let there be a conscious decision as you're having unleavened bread to not let the world's influence permeate into who you are in Christ. Let there be a week in which you are engaging in unleavened bread and unleavened choices. Now, how is bread mostly leavened? Well, in the old days, it's taking a fermented lump and infusing it into a new lump, and it permeates every bit of that. Today, it's ripping the packet, sprinkling the yeast in there. The fermenting agent moves quickly. But now listen to this. Did you know that you and I could take flour and water today, mix it up, set it aside, and in 18 minutes, the leaven spores in the air will actually settle into that. And although it will take a little bit more time, it will actually rise in a decaying, fermenting process. Israel knew that. 
As we were reading in the beginning of today's lesson in chapter 12, verse 34, there's a little hint. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. I don't think I'm out on a limb here to say that Israel did not want that lump in that kneading bowl to be open to the atmosphere. They covered them with their clothing to keep the air and water off that lump so it would never be leavened. Now again, I don't think this is a stretch, but the devil himself is the prince and the power of the air, which means you and I have to be very careful what potentially would influence us like leaven that which we touch that which permeates our life physically is one thing but it could be that which is in the air what is that in the air that you may not normally think about that could infuse into your life well, it could be the negative one who's near you constantly and berating you that's not mine mine it's the television the internet, social media. There's some components throughout the week that I think we probably should turn off. And just recognizing that if Christ has made me right in spirit, that I need to make some choices during this holy week to commemorate this life of Christ. And although it's not going to be everybody's decision, there are some things that you'll decide that you'll turn off, some books that you'll close, some tabloids that you'll put away, some influences of the world that everybody else might see as benign, but you know are cancerous to your spirit, to your emotions, and to your thinking. And this week will be a week that you're going to put away all of that. Not because you have to, but because the first time in your life, in Christ, you can. You're no longer a slave to those things. And my guess is, although it will be much more quiet around our house, my guess is it will be much more wholesome. And our thoughts will be much more given to Christ and His Word, and our conversations will probably change. And that's good. You might take a moment and just ponder for this time what it is that you might choose to do without that influences you with the world. As Hebrews 12, 1 says, we're just choosing to lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily entangles us or so clings to us closely. And finally, this week is a week that we'll rejoice in the life and the sacrifice and the victory of Christ who is the unleavened bread of life. I'm so grateful that we are sanctified, made right and holy by Jesus Christ and that we are one in Him. In Christ we have been delivered from a domain of darkness and we have been ushered into the kingdom of the Son of God and the kingdom of light. In Christ we have been redeemed and forgiven of sins. In Christ we are presented to God, as He says in Colossians, holy, blameless, righteous before Him. In Christ... This is the spiritual reality for us. As we celebrate this week unleavened bread, we celebrate that He is the unleavened bread of life. On the day that we'll prepare for the week of unleavened bread, I don't think there's any better thing for us to do to start the process but to have communion together. It's in the midst of the communion with the 
Passover meal that Jesus is having with his disciples, he takes the unleavened bread, much like any of this could be today. And he takes that and he breaks that. And he gives it to them. And he explains, this is my body. It's broken for you. Even today, the Hebrews who bake their own leavened bread, in fact, this matzah actually comes from a Hebrew company. They scar it on the racks with the burn marks there, and they pierce it so that it does not rise up. And, of course, we know prophetically that God said of his son that by his stripes we would be healed and that we would, he would be pierced for our iniquities. So as they held that bread, I don't know that they understood the full magnitude, and don't think that they did. But as they held it later, during the week of unleavened bread and during the Passovers that they would celebrate and any other time that they would have this bread, it had to remind them of Jesus, of what he has done, what he is doing today, and what he will do when he comes again. I'm going to ask our men to get into place and begin to take the bread and pass it to you. And you'll take this and you'll hold it in your hand. And as you hold it in your hand, I want you to think about this. The unleavened bread of life, Jesus, gave himself for you. And he calls for you and me to receive that. To let it be part of who we are. We're going to ingest it in just a moment. But it's not just what we look back to and commemorate as a memorial. But it's for today. It's a living word. It's for today in our life. So you might just begin pondering, Lord, how do I honor you this week? A week of unleavened bread moving towards Easter. How do I honor you this week? Help me. I want to do that. And Lord, I look forward to the day that you'll come again. Not as a humble servant, but as a glorious, mighty, victorious king of the universe. You hold that bread, it's all of that and more.
bread you hold in your hand was actually baked last night by one of our members. It's a regular thing that we do here. We want it to be fresh. We want our people to participate in it. I want you to recognize it will be similar to the bread that you'll be eating this week if you are baking unleavened bread. The significance of this moment will continue throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all moving us to the fulfillment of Christ. It was during the time of the Passover meal that Jesus and his disciples were sitting together and began to teach them, using the elements and the, the table. You see this passage in, in um, Matthew. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink all of it. But you, this is my body of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Father, we thank you for this time that we can just reflect on your son who is perfect and unleavened. We thank you that he is the bread of life. We thank you for all that he provides for us in his sinlessness, how he marks us with his righteousness. We pray, Lord, that this week would be a week that we would choose to to dwell on that which you have already accomplished and live that out in the flesh. We pray in the end of the week that it will bring glory to you as we call attention to your great resurrection. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, men, if you will, pass the cup as well. As the meal continued, they came to the third cup. It's the cup of redemption. This is the cup that Jesus was talking about as he was praying to the Father. If there's any way, let this cup pass. But nonetheless, your will, not mine, 
this cup of redemption is prophesied back in Exodus that will happen by the outstretched arms of God. It's Jesus, the Son of God who would stretch out his arms. And in all of his righteousness would be placed all of our sin. That he who knew no sin would become sin that we might have the righteousness of God in him. This third cup in which you and I commemorate now is that redemption of Christ, that he made it possible. Father, we thank you for the shedding of blood. We recognize without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. In Christ, all sins forgiven for all who put their faith in him, trust in him. Today, Lord, as we take this, we do that. We align ourselves totally with you. For without you, Lord, we would be hopeless. With you, we have hope. So this cup reminds us of your great faithfulness. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you've yet to put your faith in Jesus... This is the day. This is the day of salvation. Trust in Him. He is the only one who can rescue you. Trust in Him. He's the only one who can free you. Trust in Him. He's the only one who can cleanse you. Trust Christ today. Our staff are going to be standing down front doing the invitation song. I encourage you to come forward and let us pray with you and invite